This week, I saw God in the most unusual place. The Michaels Arts and Crafts Supply Store on 21st and 6th Avenue. I had gone down to get supplies to write my high school graduation cap, as one does, and after spending far too long debating which letter stickers to use and which glittery paper would be my background, I was finally ready to check out. As I stood in line with my friends, I started growing nervous. My phone was dying and I didn't have any way to charge it, and I needed that 7% to last me until meeting my mother, which was, as far as I knew, anywhere between 20 minutes and two hours. And as any store would on a Wednesday afternoon, not every register was open, so the line was slowly meandering its way along. I eventually made it to the front um, and proceeded to the nicest cashier you will ever find in New York City. To begin with, the woman greeted me with the biggest smile, asked me how my day was, and with her, you could tell it was actually a genuine question. I responded politely, keeping to myself in my typical New Yorker fashion, as she went through the normal checkout questions of, are you a Michaels reward member and would you like to become one? She added one that I had never heard before. Do you have a coupon? <laughs> Slightly startled, I responded with no. Going to Michaels had been a spur of the moment decision and even if I had been planning on the trip, why would I have thought to bring coupons to a store I rarely shop at? Yet the woman insisted that I had one. I looked at her as if she was crazy. I had already told her I didn't, so how on earth could she be insisting that I did? As she continued to scan my items, she points at my phone. Yes, you do. Just type in Michaels like on my vest, she told me. Now, I do, slightly worried that the poor cell reception would kill my precious phone battery, but up pops Google with the results page, and it was paired with a, give me your phone, let me pull up the coupon for you. I was in shock. Never had a cashier gone out of their way for me to save me money before. Now, at this point, I start looking around. Both of my friends had already finished paying, and I could tell those in lines were anxious for me to finish up. But the cashier continued to take her time. Don't worry about them, she told me. Let's just worry about saving you some money. <laughs> she then proceeded to take my items into two separate purchases so I could save the maximum discounts out of this one tiny little coupon. And at the end of it all, I saved a good $5, or as she put it, that's some eating money right there. <laughs> but to me, it was more than just $5 in my pocket. It was a woman going out of her way to make my life easier, even if it made her life a little harder. It was a woman going out of her way to help someone she did not know and would likely never see again out of the kindness of her heart. It was a woman going out of her way to spread a little bit of God's love on earth. Our interaction had a few welcome interjections of hallelujah and praise be, I should add, to someone she had no reason or requirement to do so for. Right now, the United Methodist Church could act a lot more like this woman. As it stands, the UMC is shutting its doors to their kingdom of heaven on the LGBTQ community. Us queer folk are being told that we are not of sacred worth that we live in sin and our abominations, that there's no way we will ever inherit that kingdom. But what if that was all entirely false? That, as many of us know, no one can be turned away at the kingdom's gates and that God's love, God loves all of God's children just as they are. Now, many would tell us that there's no spiritual proof for this. They might point us to the four condemnations of homosexuality in the Bible. 
Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, and chapter 20, verse 13, both of which claim a man who lies down with another man is an abomination. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, which condemns the lust of homosexuality. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, which calls homosexuality sinful. And finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8, 9 through 11, which claims homosexuals, along with other quote-unquote undesirables, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. None of these instances, it is worth noting, are Jesus condemning homosexuality. However, Paul contradicts his own interpretations in Romans, Corinthians, and Timothy with his teaching in Galatians. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Paul is telling us that before Christ, Hebrew law and regulation was the sole route to salvation. But now that Christ has come and offered a new path to salvation, these, no long, these laws are no longer the route we must take. Paul is essentially telling the Galatians that they can ignore the rules and regulations laid out in the Old Testament, which includes our favorites, Leviticus chapter 18, 22, and chapter 20, verse 13. And in tossing aside this condemnation, what biblical basis does Paul have for his epistles to the Romans, Corinthians, and to Timothy condemning homosexuality besides his own moral objections? None. What proof is there of God not accepting queer folk into God's house? None. And without this authority behind Paul's condemnations, what power do they even have? Once again, the answer is none. So there we have it. Paul is taking away his own religious authority on why homosexuality is sin and providing even more proof that queer folk are able to enter the kingdom. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. God does not care about gender, about race, about status, about sexual orientation or self-expression. God cares about how we live about our faith and our good deeds. If loving Jesus is the road to salvation, why should it matter who else we love on the way there as long as they help us grow our love for Jesus? The United Methodist Church seems to be forgetting this fact right about now. Following Jesus, as Paul points out, is the road to salvation. The Jesus that I know and love preaches compassion and grace towards all people. The Jesus that I know and love preaches welcoming the stranger, loving your enemy, and standing up for the oppressed. The Jesus that I know and love would not stand for a denomination turning away queer folk just for who they love or how they express themselves, especially when I know that my Jesus would love us unconditionally. And truth be told, I'm done with being told that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teachings when, in all honesty, it is homophobia and intolerance that are what are actually incompatible. And that's the problem with the United Methodist Church right now. It's trying to regulate salvation. It's trying to tell us who can and cannot be of sacred worth. It's trying to show the world how superior it feels by bringing others down. It's naming an enemy and telling the world to hate it. But that's not what Jesus would want. Jesus would be making the world a better place, welcoming the stranger and the unprotected, giving them a home. That's what the church should be, a home. A place where all are welcome at God's heavenly table, a place where queer folk know that they are of sacred worth, 
because God made us all perfect in God's image and loves each of us as we are. Right now, the church needs to be more like that cashier at Michael's, going out of its way to say, welcome, you are loved, giving out aid before it's even asked for, giving out love before it's even needed, providing for all, not asking any questions about who is asking for need or why it is they are asking. And how do we get to this place? How do we, as a denomination, start welcoming all of God's children into this house? First, we need to go back to our Wesleyan roots. Those three simple rules which John Wesley gave unto us. First, do good. Second, do no harm. Third, attend the ordinances of God. How is the denomination doing good if it does not do good unto all of God's people? How is the denomination doing no harm when it is shunning away our queer siblings? And how can the denomination be attending the ordinances of God if it does not allow all of God's children to see these ordinances? These three simple rules are, are ones to live by, but it cannot be but if we cannot govern ourselves by them, how can the United Methodist Church even call itself Methodist, throwing away our Wesleyan tradition? Second, we must open the doors to all of the world. There is no one on earth who is greater than another, and the sooner we recognize this fact, the better the church will be for it. And finally, we must realize that at the end of the day, we are all one big collection of sinners, attempting to reach perfection in this lifetime. Now, even those who reach perfection are not free of sin. So, as the collective church, how can we judge each other for sinning when it is the common denominator between all of us? The answer, we can't. We must accept each other as we are, extending grace, compassion, and love to all, no matter who they are. And once the United Methodist Church is able to realize these very simple truths, then and only then will we be bringing heaven closer down to earth.